Welcome to The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and after a lifetime as an athlete and a coach, and with a continued love of the sport, I want to take a deep dive and have honest conversations with the smartest and most thoughtful athletes, coaches, and forward thinkers in the business. So join me in my pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Hannah Soar. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's good to have you back. I want to start by saying a few thank yous. First to Avisa Kosalich and Jan Hudek, our guests last week, for an incredible conversation and for pushing the needle, I think, um, in a progressive fashion with FIS. I want to also say thank you to all of you that are joining us back here at The Next Turn. Thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing, and thank you for subscribing, and thank you for liking and rating and all the good things that you've been doing. We really appreciate it. I also want to say thanks to a few of the program directors that re were reaching out over the last few weeks and have said that they've shared our podcast with some of their parents and their memberships and got some really incredible feedback on that. And that's really what we're trying to do here at The Next Turn is just start conversations and see what happens. Our, my last thank yous are to Jeff and Kara. It's good to have you back here, Jeff and Kara. How are you, Jeff? Great, Martin. How are you? All is well, man. Looking forward to uh, this week's episode. You and Kara had a fantastic interview with a young woman from Killington, Vermont, named Hannah Soar. 21 years old, 23, 23 World Cup starts, four podiums. She's still looking for that elusive win. I should mention U.S. ski team mogul skier. So we're branching out to a different part of the skiing uh, world with this one. And uh, she's ranked third in the overall uh, going into world championships. So that's pretty exciting. She considers herself, or in her words, the Vermont poster girl. And Kara, is it any wonder with a name like Soar that this girl would do great things? No kidding. Hannah Soar, what a name. And it totally suits her. Um, as you said, at the age of, of 21, Hannah's come so far and she's built one of the deepest catalogs of jumps of any active female mogul skiers in the world. Um, this woman is a dynamo. And as we discussed in the interview, her skiing and her positive attitude and her flowing blonde hair is reminiscent of American mogul skiers, Donna Weinbrock. Uh, it was really a thrill to talk to uh, Hannah and uh, I'm excited for everyone to hear this interview. Yeah, it is it's pretty cool. She's a great young woman. She is ideally the princess of Killington, Vermont, and um, it's a great conversation. So here is Hannah Soar on the next turn. I was watching this last weekend's competition at Deer Valley. I love the athleticism of it, it but it looked like a gong show. Like, it looked like it's NASCAR and drag racing all lined up together with some roller derby. Um, it, there's some intensity there, huh? Oh my God, yeah. Deer Valley duels, there's really nothing quite like it. I think uh, people go out there with the intent to put their life on the line. Um, so, you know, if all your competitors are doing that, you kind of got to sack up and do it as well. Um, so it can be challenging, but uh, it's always a wild scene. And 
as spectators, I mean, even just watching, um, you know, before I ski or in between rounds, I'm just amazed at, uh, at the places people put their bodies. Um, it's really amazing. Um, and for me, it was tough because I came into Deer Valley with a pre-stress fracture in my lower leg. Um, so I was skiing very minimally going in, only taking like three or four training runs where usually I'd be taking six to seven. Um, so by the time I got to duels day uh, and I made it all the way to the small final for first and second, that was 10 runs deep and I was hurting, but you know, you got to put yourself on the line and you really don't have um, much option there. Uh, you know, if you want that gold medal, you've really got to go for it, especially at Deer Valley. <laughs> so um, I was in pain, but you know, we made it. So um, what a cool event too. like, not only on home soil, it seems like America has a real home soil advantage when it comes to freestyle skiing, as far as calendaring, um, as far as success. We, Karen and I were just talking too. Are we wrong in saying that there's been an American woman on the podium at every World Cup for like 15 years? We every once in a while miss one. So we missed one at Deer Valley singles and we had a fourth. Um, but for the most part, we have a very high percentage. Like, I mean, I don't know the stats myself, but I'd say up in the 80 percentage, um, usually someone pulls through for us with a podium. And the best part is these days, it's not, it's not the same person every time. Uh, we've had four different girls on the podium within five events already. So that's pretty awesome. It's amazing. Like the, uh, there's a difference between what legacy does for, for paving the pathway and building success, but also what that legacy can do for expectations. Like, Second's not such a big deal sometimes, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard sometimes. I mean, last year we were in a very similar position where um, I got fourth and missed that podium. And I knew that there was a lot on the line the next day where we really wanted to pull through and uh, get some USA podiums on home soil. And I knew that our team was capable of doing it. And last year we went two, three, four on duels day. And we were so close to that sweep. Uh, so it was pretty special this year to have a, a similar situation where we didn't have a podium on singles day and pull through with a American sweep and dual moguls, which has never happened before in history. So pretty, pretty awesome. How many women are in that group with you right now on that World Cup group? There's been four of us around consistently. Um, we get five starts, though. And that fifth one has just kind of been mobile just with injuries and people coming back and it's just been flipping around who's had that start. Uh, but in Deer Valley, we're lucky enough to get three additional per gender starts. So we had eight women and eight men start in Deer Valley, um, plus one additional woman from a Noram fist allocation spot. So we had nine ladies coming down that course on singles day, which is a lot of Americans coming down on home, home soil. And that definitely also helps us, I think, just statistically, uh, better chance at the podium. But usually the people on that podium are the ones who um, complete the whole tour. Is this your second full year on the tour? Or I guess, is this even a full year? Do you consider it? How does it work? Um, this will be my second full year on the tour. I mean, it's not, um, I, I don't know. If, yeah, exactly. I don't know if I want to call it a full tour, but you know, it is. Um, and three years ago, I was... I got injured going into the first World Cup. I tore my high ankle ligament, was out for a couple of months, but came back to finish and do the second half of the tour. But last year was my first year getting a World Cup rank at the end. That made sense. 
right now you're sitting third in yeah yeah and we're as a ladies team we're three four five six going into uh world championships so that's pretty pretty cool you haven't had a world cup win yet you got to be chomping at the bit for that you've come close a couple times you've had four podiums you've now you're like right there with (laughs) like a globe you've got the olympics coming up you've got world championships coming up even sooner than that What's on your, how do you measure what you want to do and how do you keep in perspective what you are doing? Well, this is a conversation that's been on my brain for years now, really. I bet it has. (laughs) It's tough because to beat Perrine, who's our our dominant female leader, I would say, um, it's going to take more than just a back tuck to a cork seven to do that consistently, you know, maybe, maybe it works on a limb one day and all the pieces fall great. And and that's awesome. Um, but I want to be dominant, you know, when I win, I don't want it to be a one-off. I want it to be the first of many. And so how, how do you get to that position? And that's, that's the big question. Um, so in Deer Valley, I did full the cork for my tricks, which is tough. <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to get right. A lot of places to make mistakes where you can't make any. Um, so I knew that I needed to take that next step, even if in the process, I maybe I finished ninth, for example, which was my lowest singles result this year. Um, but in order to move up, I think sometimes you might have to take a step back. And that's really tough as elite athletes. And especially when I know I can be on that podium with um, an easier run, for example. So Matt and I, my, my coach, are in the process of trying to figure out what's that Olympic gold medal run? What's that, what's that world championships gold medal run? And it, it might be, have to be full to court just because you need those higher air scores. But you also, at the same time, need to maintain those high turn scores and those really fast runs. So that's where it's really tough with um, moguls because there's just so many variables um, and so many different ways to get to the top. And just about figuring out what's the best path path for you. I love the definitive nature of ski racing. I like that it's, this is your time. These are the facts. Now you can go that way. I was saying to Kara earlier, I don't even know how you guys talk about it um, in a professional manner without losing your cool. But my example is I was watching the men's duels and I'm a Canadian. I was, I love Mikhail uh, Kingsbury and I watched him in the quarterfinals and I thought the guy next to him was way better. And I watched the guy in the semis and I thought the guy in the semis was way better. And I thought the guy in the finals was a little bit better, <laughs> but Kingsbury won. How do you plan for that? Do you care about that? How do you wrap your head around that? Talk me through that because just my blood pressure is going up just thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's what we signed up for at the end of the day. And I think when we get frustrated, you got to remember that. Um, for me, it's it's simple. Like, I love mogul skiing. I'm a mogul skier. I'm a skier. Um, you know, and I, and I compete because I happen to be good at it. Um, you know, I'm not super competitive and sometimes that can be my detriment at the end of the day but you just got to remember like if you're dominant if you should win that event you're gonna win that event if you put yourself 
in the meat, you know, the, the, uh, is that 10th? Is it eighth? I don't know. Like you're leaving yourself up for, for a judgment, right? Like, but if you go out there and you slice and dice that mobile course and there's no questions asked, honestly, the way Nick does it most days <laughs> duels, I think at Deer Valley was a fluke, but usually he's just so dominant and no one's asking who won that event. It's so clear that Mick won that event. So I try to just focus on the things that are in my control. Um, and the things in my control are what tricks I'm going to do, how fast I'm going to ski, um, you know, how direct I'm going to send my ski down that course and the turns. And at the end of the day, like the, the score is the score, but you can't get super hung up on that or else you're just going to have heart failure at the end of the day. <laughs> God bless you. I, like, God bless you. <laughs> I don't know how you do it sometimes. But. Well, my friend Becca, um, you know Becca, but uh, we went to KMS together. And that's a conversation we have a lot too, is at the same time, it, you know, when you get to the end of a Alpine course, right, you have your time. You can't fight that. It's the time. Um, but on the mogul course, you have kids, you can be like, oh, that, that was just the wrong score. I skied so much better than that. You know, you can kind of <laughs> slide your way out of it. Um, where sometimes when it's just a time, like it's just right in your face that you, you didn't ski that fast. Can't argue about it. You are a skier. And I love how you said that. Can you talk, talk to us about how you became a skier and why you're a skier and sort of when did you turn into a mogul skier from being a skier? Uh, yeah. So I grew up skiing at Killington, Vermont, and I mean, I'm the Killington poster girl, you know, like I breathe Killington. I love it. Um, and my parents brought me up there on weekends. They were already super immersed in that community. My grandfather skied there, um, you know, and brought my father there. And by the time I came around, my father was in the bump gangs and totally immersed in the retro and the, the pink fuchsia outfits and you know, he wasn't the best. He wasn't a competitor, but you know, he thrived in it. And uh, so, you know, when I showed up and I was a little kid in the Bear Mountain parking lot, that's all I knew was that we we're going to go out. We're going to have a great time and I'm going to play in that snowbank for hours and we're going to go home at five o'clock. <laughs> and that's just how it's going to work. Um, and luckily I loved that. <laughs> it was great. I had amazing friends. Um, those people that I played in the snowbank with, the people that I compete on World Cup with today, uh, which is pretty special and I think shows shows how powerful those early days really were and um, you know I just went out and skied with my parents friends my friends it was amazing and um, you know they were into mobile skiing so naturally we were skiing outer limits all day every day uh, you know and in 2008 I entered into the Bear Mountain Mogul Challenge or my parents entered me you know and um, I got fourth and I held up that trophy and my name got engraved in there at the age of eight years old. And I was like, wow, this is friggin' cool. Like I just got to ski bumps all day. And now my name is on a huge trophy in the Bear Mountain Lodge. Like what else do you want in this world? Um, and ever since that point, I just kind of took off and started competing. And I'm not going to say that I loved competing right off the bat. Um, I honestly probably only started enjoying competing a couple years ago, to be totally honest, I, it would just stress me out and I'd get nervous because I knew I should ski really well, but that pressure sometimes, you know, I, I would hold back and not ski as well as I could have. And it just, my heart, you know, my heart is adding too many years to my life <laughs> with all the stress that it added. Um, <laughs> but I just loved it. Like I loved skiing. I loved mogul skiing. I loved the community. Um, I loved Killington Mountain School and that really just kept me in it. Uh, so 
once I figured out the mental side and used, started using mindfulness and got to talk to sports psychs and really wrapped my head around how to, how to perform under pressure, I was then able to get those results that I think that all those skiing years really allowed me to get. And it's really just kind of come together these past three years or so on World's Cup and it's been pretty awesome. And I totally, totally give all the credit to Killington and the people I grew up skiing with and still go home to ski with, um, you know, after our World's Cups. When we got home from our first two World Cups of the year before Christmas, you know, I just went home and skied 17 days in a row. I skied every day I could have um, before I had to go back to Park City just because I, I love it there. I love the people, I love the community. It's just awesome. That's so cool. Like and that, Becca. I got to ski with Becca. <laughs> that's so cool. I want to talk about Becca and, and EK, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Bring him in. <laughs> um, because because the, I, I find it interesting that the, that, was your, that was your squad for a while, right? That's your home. Still is. Those are your homegirls, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and EK was a, an incredible snowboarder at a high level. Becca is an incredible alpiner at a high level and you're an incredible freestyler at a high level, but you shared so much love for the outdoors and the snow and winter and skiing and sliding. Talk about, can you talk about that and how, how that helps you? Absolutely. I mean, Killington mountain school was you know this might sound like the cheesiest line ever but like high school really was the greatest years of my life <laughs> they truly were like I I was surrounded by amazing people um you know on my team aside from Becca and EK my teammates were the people that I was playing in the snowbanks with when I was four years old and then all of a sudden I get to high school and they're like oh you want to go to school with these people and then ski with them all day and I was like this is amazing who this is like the best best thing on the planet earth you know and um and then I got to meet people like EK and uh Becca and Maisie Hayden and Turner Ramsey and all of a sudden at KMS we didn't have very many girls we pretty much had one girl within each sport besides alpine racing where we had a few more um but each of those girls were the best in their sport it was amazing um it just was an amazing community to be a part of and and just recognize that we can all get to the top together and it's not, it's not me versus you. And we can all make the US ski team. We can all make USA cycling, you know, for Turner and, uh, you know, for Becca, we can all go to Middlebury D1 racing. Um, and I think that that really set me up well once I did get to an all girls team at, on the US ski team, because at that point we are competing against one another, but already it was instilled within me that we're all going to go to the top together and support one another on the way there. And, people like Beck and EK were extremely instrumental in, in instilling that within me because we just had so much fun, you know, and, and you just watch Becca's races and EK's races when I'm, when, you know, when I'm at mine in Canada and you're just so invested in their success because we have so much fun together. You know, we're, we were in the gym every day together. We'd, we'd be on the hill together. And, and in the end, we ended up being the best of friends and you know, we'd go on hikes and Becca and I skinned every mountain in Vermont um, the first week of, of COVID this past year. And it was a crazy thing for us to do, but Becca's just my crazy friend to do that stuff with. And um, those memories and are, I'm forever grateful for and the people that I met. 
Hannah, it's so interesting hearing you talk. Um, I mean, you're 21, um, mm -hmm. and and you've you've been bagging peaks in Vermont. You've been, uh, you know, going around the world competing. Um, made an unbelievable impression on your first World Cup season, and and here we are looking ahead to the Olympics next year. Like, how how are you managing to keep all of this in check? I think it just comes down to the fact that I love skiing and whether I, I get a podium at world champs, whether I don't, whether I make the Olympics, whether I don't at the end of the day, like I'm always going to have skiing. I'm always going to have the people that I met through skiing, um, you know, and, and I just hope that I leave a legacy behind for the rest of the mogul skiers to come. That's, you know, positive. And they say like, wow, like Hannah Sora really left this for me, you know? And, um, but no one's going to remember you at the end of the day, right? Like I hate to be that guy, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. Like I love that quote. And I think that's true. Like, yeah, whether I have four podiums to my name or 40 podiums, like it doesn't really matter if at the end of the day I quit skiing when I'm done and, and move on. And that's, that's definitely not my plan. So I think that it, it reduces the stress and the competitiveness within me knowing that you know, when I'm, when I'm done here, it's still going to be amazing. I'm still going to be skinning mountains with Becca. I'm still going to be in the Bear Mountain, Bear Mountain parking lot at four o'clock. Like, it's, nothing's really going to change. Namaste. We'll be right back. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, share your thoughts of the day with us at thenextturnpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Next Term Podcast. And now back to our conversation with freestyle skier Hannah Soar on The Next Turn. There's a lot to be said. Um, if you can see it, you can be it. Um, and actually, Kara and yourself share a common idol and uh, Donna Wybra. I've never met her, but I, I mean, I remember when she won her uh, gold medal at the 92 Albertville Olympics. I was, I think I was around 18. Um, I was a ski racer from Ontario, Canada. And I saw her and I was like, oh my God, this woman is, she's on fire. She's got the blonde hair. She's like, she's so larger than life. And she just made it look really, really fun. Like she just, she made me, I actually called my parents and I was like, okay, so I think I'm going to uh, maybe not go to university. I think I might switch to moguls. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I wanted to just hang it all up there and be Donna. Oh, be Donna. That's something I would love. I always say Donna's the queen of Killington and I can only hope to be the princess. <laughs> um, but she's amazing. I think, I, you know, as a kid, I didn't necessarily see Donna, but all the stories of her were amazing and everyone would be like you remind me so much of Donna and to this day I still get people usually at Killington but I had one in Zermatt Switzerland one year which was probably my favorite because it came out of left field um but they're like you remind me of Donna you know the blonde hair the the passion for freestyle just the love that radiates off of uh, both of us you know for our sport is special and we're both Killington girls and so ever since then, Donna's kind of been my gal <laughs> to look at and just want to be like. And in the past few years, I've been lucky enough to get to do some filming and photography with Donna and just kind of ski around and talk to her more on a personal level. And uh, that's been super special. She's just, she's still so amazing. She's like an amazing skier still. She rips. She's beautiful. Blonde hair everywhere still. She's, oh, she's awesome.
<laughs> you mentioned your coach Matt along the way, and you also mentioned the bump gang. I'm fascinated by the hashtag bump gang and <laughs> and the culture that that breeds and 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 what it means. Can you sort of describe? what that hashtag is and and how it came about and what it means to you yeah so the hashtag bump gang came about my junior year of high school at kms and we had a new coach chris pepe who's still the uh, the head coach there and he was amazed by the killington community um and how many people were on mogul skis? Because if anyone skis around resorts, you usually don't see mogul skis on people all that often. But at Killington, they're on everyone's feet. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are, where you come from, or what you look like, you've got mogul skis on your feet. And Pepe was like, wow, this is amazing. And we were skiing around the mountain and me and Kalman and, and Alex and Ian and Belski are you know, my great, good, good friends on the team. We knew everybody. You know, everyone knew us, we knew everybody. And he was like, what and we were telling him you know all the different gangs that these people are in you know and and they have their bump gang and so <laughs> he was like what is this and we're like yeah like we're a bump gang but those guys over there they're their own bump gang you know they, they live in this ski house and they do that and whatever and like but we're all united as one singular bump gang but we're you know nuclear families <laughs> and he was like this is wild and uh so then we we just really took this concept of, of just being a bump gang like we're just here to have fun and ski bumps like that's our priority and win medals along the way so that's going to come when you're having fun and shredding every day right like that's usually how that works <laughs> you work hard you have fun you get a medal that's how we like to you know put the formula as <laughs> um you know and, and it just really made us a really happy group and and kms started to catch on to it and thought that it was a cute little hashtag and it's really honestly like taken off and I think that just really shows also like how much we just love skiing right like we're not here like saying like we're like hashtag like the like for the U.S. ski team it's like hashtag best in the world um which you know we're on the U.S. ski team we should be the best in the world uh nothing against that that hashtag but um I came as I think that it was a really great spot to say like hashtag bumpkin because in these ski school academies you have people like me who make the U.S. ski team their junior year, but you also have other people who have just started skiing. Like one of my great friends, Jess Cohen, um, came to KMS having never mogul skied before in her life. So you have to really value each of our accomplishments and progressions, I think, especially at the academy level. Um, it's obvious when people get World Cup starts that you should post about it on social media and talk about it in your all-school meetings. But what about the kid who made their first top 10 at the U16 race? Like that, that's equally as important in these people. And I think that hashtag bump gang just really showed us that we're all important, important. We're a gang, um, you know, and my success is your success. And so I think that that was really special. That is really special. That's strong. What kind of ownership did you take in building that culture on, on an individual basis? And what kind of ownership, not only in the culture now are you taking, but just in your own general wellness and health we've totally recreated the culture in the five years that i've i've been here we actually had this conversation um tess johnson and i had this conversation the other day um after the world cup sweep that we just had 
we were just reflecting back about how five years ago the culture of our team was was toxic um it was extremely competitive and it was competitive in a way where you just didn't want to be last you didn't really care if you were first you just didn't want to be last and uh you know we we didn't have amazing results at that point you know we had good results but they weren't they weren't as good as they could have been and uh tess and i were tess um johnson olivia giaccio and i were were babies we were called the little girls of the team at that point we were, we were 15 16 years old we were the little girls um but you know we sat there and we looked at each other and we we're like this isn't cool like we don't really want to be here right now like our regional team programs are are a better atmosphere than this um and then <laughs> i always joke tess and live started to get results i you know i was still you know getting better and progressing but i wasn't quite at their level yet and uh, they started to get some World Cup podiums underneath their belt at a young age. And all of a sudden, we, we were still the little girls, but we had a little bit of say in, in what our atmosphere was going to be. And our good friend, Jalen Koff, who's still around, who's older, she's 24, I think, but um, she was in the older kid group at that point. Um, and she also agreed that, like, this isn't a cool atmosphere. And we just kind of, as a little group of four, like, said, we're going to become the best in the world. And we're, we're going to be dominant and we're going to support each other to get there. And uh, ever since then, we've just been pushing that kind of culture, especially on our women's team. And, and now we've been consistently number one in the world and going into world champs, three, four, five, six. And we've worked long and hard for this. And, uh, you know, I think we deserve a medal at that Olympics. And I don't know if it's going to be me, but it better be one of us because we've been working real hard for it. God, I love that. <laughs> so cool to hear. I think it's uh, it's refreshing that that you're not apologetic about uh, your your desire uh, for you and and uh, your teammates to to get what you've been working towards. I think that's so refreshing. A lot of a lot of times um, athletes are, you know, they they might brush it off and, and make it seem like they don't care um, or that they 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 just hope that it'll you know maybe get to them somehow. But you you're like you know what we deserve it. Screw it. And I think that's amazing. Um, and that's probably why, every, you know, you American women have been on the podium at almost every World Cup. It's a lot. I mean, the, I was saying this in an interview um, after Duel's Day in Deer Valley, and I was just saying, like, one of the most amazing parts about our, our sweep at Duel's Day was it could have been three other people. We did that sweep without Jalen, who's our most reliable uh, dueler out there. Uh, that's definitely not a negotiable point. And uh, we've got plenty more girls that, that could have also been on that podium behind Jalen. So I thought that that was pretty special, that it was awesome that I was a part of that three and that it was me and Kai and Tess. And I think we deserved it that day, but it could have been a whole number, another three of us. And, and that's, that's, I think that just talks to the hard work that we've put into as a team to be the best um, from the top to the bottom. Like I was the last girl on our team roster for a long time, you know, and I think I'm a good example of how quickly that can turn around. Um, you know, I sat down there for three years, just kind of holding on by the skin of my teeth and, and just hoping I wasn't going to get cut, <laughs> honestly, and putting in the hard work in the background, but just not putting down the results I needed at the right times. But it finally, all the pieces fell together. And I think I, I owe that to my teammates. They believed in me and they, they kept pushing me. And they said, Hannah, like, it's going to work out one of these days. Like, you're a hard worker. It's going to go. It's it's funny how familiar what you're saying sounds to some of the other people that we've talked to. Like we talked to a ski racer um, 
couple weeks ago, Ala McGrath literally said the same thing, <laughs> like the same sentence um, th that you just did. And, and that there's, there's the pursuit of, of better that keeps you true. It's not pursuit of results necessarily. It's the pursuit of getting better. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a hunger for that, but there's also a forgiveness when you mess up along the way and a patience that comes with it. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard. It's years of hard work. And um, for someone like me, like I'm a horrible jumper. Like I have no natural talent in the air whatsoever. My father says I can thank him for that. But, uh, you know, I've been working so hard um, to have the tricks that I do. And I think the fact that I had the highest degree of difficulty in this past World Cup and one of the highest air scores in the entire event is just 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 shows every little girl out there that like it's just about working hard you know and loving what you do and just putting your nose to the grindstone like I I would argue that I probably am a natural skier and that comes a little bit easier to me and maybe that's because I put in a million hours when I was a kid and now it's paying off but as a jumper I I didn't put in the time as a kid I wanted nothing to do with jumping when our coaches when I was young would say like do you want to hike the jump or go free skiing I never said that I wanted to hike the jump uh, you know, and, and these days I just put in the time and put in the effort because I want, I want that victory that we talked about. I want more World Cup podiums and, you know, I want that Olympic medal. So I'm going to put the time in and, you know, hope it works out. Can you talk me through what the decision-making process is for what the jumps you're going to use are in a competition one and then I guess the other part is how do you develop new tricks and what's that process like? Yeah, so I think last year would be a good example to walk through with this. So last year I had a back full, a cork seven, a back tuck, and a back truck driver, kind of all in my bag of tricks that were ready to go. So I would show up to an event. And we have two days of training on like, uh, you know, slalom or GS. So, so we get to see the course <laughs> and try our tricks. We're not just like running with our, you know, looking like chickens out there on our first run, never hitting these jumps before. And um, so I would go out there and I try all my tricks. You know, I try my cork seven on the top air. I try it on the bottom air. Um, usually the full always stays up top. Usually the back truck always stays down bottom, but the tuck moves and the, tr and the cork moves um, from top air to bottom. So there's a bunch of variations within that. So each course is different. You kind of got to move through this process pretty quick. Um, so for example, if I hit a cork on the top air and I'm like, mm, nope, this isn't the place for that. Like I'm going to be better off with a full. I got to make that decision pretty quick. Um, Cause you know, we still got to, we still got to work on the skiing and putting and sewing it all together before the event. So there's a lot to do when you have a big bag of tricks. And this was kind of new for women's mobile skiing to not, come in with a run that you knew you were going to do. Usually with women's mobile skiing, you you pick a trick package. So let's say it's it's a back mute to a back X and you kind of stick with that throughout the entire season. So when you show up to new courses, it can be both good and bad because you're stuck with that trick package because you don't have any other tricks to substitute in, but it can be easier because you know your process. You know you're doing those tricks, you run through the motions, you're good to go unlike me who shows up to an event and has no idea what I'm going to do. Um, 
so last year I, I did cork to back truck. I did tuck to cork. I did fold to cork. I did fold to back truck. I did fold to tuck. I, I did them all <laughs> um, throughout the season, which was an amazing feat for someone like me, who's not a natural jumper. So making those adjustments on the fly is extremely challenging, both mentally and physically to pull off week after week. But it was, it was awesome to see. And and each of those runs made the super final and in certain events. And so that was really cool to see that I could, I can mix and match and still be right in it. Um, So this year, a little bit harder with COVID, we just don't have as many events, Um, you know, getting closer to the Olympics, you kind of want to pick, kind of want to pick what your Olympic run might look like so you can, you know, get more reps in in the competition gate with your bib on with that process going. Um, But last year was a really great year to just try different things, you know, roll with the punches and see if it works out. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but last year just surprisingly worked out really well every time. (laughs) So um, I'll take that. But uh, yeah, you kind of, kind of got to be open-minded when you show up to those venues. So on the jumping side of things, how much does, does a gymnastics background play a role? Yeah. So our people that have no one on our team, I would say has a huge gymnastics background, but people definitely have some. And I think it's good. I think it, when you're a kid, it's, it's important to learn, you know, your little tumbling and, and whatnot to become more uh, familiar with the movements. But I, I wouldn't say gymnastics is something you need to have. Um, just because there's a lot of different things with gymnastics, you tend to throw your head with gymnastics. The way you create momentum is just pretty different. But as far as just getting familiar with flipping and, and moving your body in the air, I think that that's a positive if you're a gymnast. Um, but in order to prepare new tricks, it's, it's always tough, right? So like you start on the trampoline, you know, and you, you throw the pad, you know, you might be doing wild things, but you're getting used to just just the momentum and the style and how you're going to do it. And then after that, you usually move on to the water ramp or the airbag, depending on what your setup is. Um, and you get used to it there. And at some point you certify that trick and then you can bring it to snow and then you do it on snow and you certify it for competition. And then all of a sudden you're in the competition gate doing a new trick, but usually that time frame it could take a year. Sometimes though, that can take three years. It really just depends. Like it can be really quick or it can be super long. Um, so yeah, it's always interesting though when someone pulls a new trick out and you wonder how long they've been working on that in the background. Cause you don't always, you don't know what people are working on in the background in the summertime. You don't know if they're trying their cork tens on the water ramps or not, or if they're trying a new cork mute or double full. Or, so when they show up in the winter with a new trick, you're always like, oh, like how long were they working on that? Because all of a sudden, if, if you weren't working on anything new and, and the whole field just upped their DD, like that could take take you years to get to where they are now how much innovation is there on the on the trick side in the air side how much how fast is is that evolving on the women's side it's evolving extremely fast so if if you watched 2018 olympics to what will be our 2021 olympics the women's side's going to look incredibly different as far as what people are throwing. Uh, in 2018, it was a lot of 360s and back Xs and back layouts. In 2021, if you want to be on that podium, you better have a cork or a full. Um, you know, maybe you can get a buy with a, a back grab. 
um, you know, as long as the skiing's right there and, and the speed's there and everything else is really ready to go. Um, but that's totally different on the woman's side. On the men's side, I'd say that it's, we've seen some more court grabs because we had some new uh, rule changes as far as grabs went. But guys have always been throwing their court tens and their double pulls and, and their big DD tricks. So it's been cool to see the women catch up. It's been pretty awesome. We'll be right back. As always, thank you to our friends at 4951. Check them out at 4951.com for all your safety, liskey, and training needs. Now back to our conversation with Hannah Soar on the next turn. You talk very openly about what you want. When you think of the world championships, Olympics, big events, how much of it is planned out in your head? How much of it is, I kind of know how I want it to go, or you just, you just trust it that it's going to work out. How, how do you look at those big events? Like you're, you're 21. They're, they're in your face. These huge yeah. big events are in your face. Sorry if I'm bringing it up and you didn't know about it, but <laughs> <laughs> but they seem like how do you t- how do you talk about it? How do you frame these events? So I think what's tough as an American, especially an American lady at the moment, is we talk about winning the Olympics, winning world championships. But in the back of your head, you're sitting there being like, I still got to qualify for these events. Um, You know, if if this was an Olympic season, you needed multiple podiums to go to the Olympics, which is pretty tough. Like considering we usually send four girls, right? Like that fifth girl could have made every super final and just been in fourth and they're not going to go. So the level is high to even even get your name on, on that roster. So I think sometimes that's tough. We're like Perrine from France or Yulia from Kazakhstan. Like they don't have to worry about qualifying. Their eye is on winning. So I, it's, it's tough to balance prioritizing A, qualifying, and then B, once you get there, winning. And in that turnaround time from knowing that you qualified from these events to being at those events is extremely fast. We're talking like two weeks. Um, so to flip that mindset at that point is tough. So you kind of got to be already thinking about winning the Olympics before you even know if, if you're going to go. So that's, that's problem number one, I would say for me is like balancing the two out. Um, and, and when I choose what run to do, right? Like I can do tuck to cork with my eyes closed. Um, it might not win me the Olympics, but it might get me a spot at the Olympics where full to cork is a little bit more variable um, considering it's harder tricks and whatnot. And, but what if I fall in those Olympic qualifying events and I don't even get a chance to win that gold? That's a real possibility as well. So I think like getting too far in the future is, is just tough. Like even thinking about those events can, can be challenging. And I think putting a lot of weight on those events is, is just not a good idea either. <laughs> like, you got to understand that it's the Olympics so that when you get there, you're not like, whoa, like, where am I? Um, you know, and you're caught on your heels, but at the same time, you got to treat it like it's like it's any other event. We're competing with the same people. We just have, a, we have a smaller field than what we're usually competing with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for me, I just try to remember that like, if I make every world championships, great. If I go to the Olympics, great. Um, you know, if I don't, it all happened for a reason, but I can sleep peacefully knowing that I, I did everything I could to put myself in the best position, you know, when I get in those start gates and when I show up to training, making sure I, I give it my all. And, you know, I like to really think about it. Like, what can I do today to be better tomorrow? And as long as I, I do something that's going to make me better tomorrow, I think I can sleep peacefully. Again, it's the pursuit of better, huh? Yeah. It's not, I think when you start thinking, I, I was talking about this to a newspaper lady the other day and I was like, where else in your life will you ever say like April 20th, 2045, that's going to be my day. That's my day, right? Like that's what we're doing for the Olympics. We're saying February 4th, 2021, you know, 10 years ago, I said, that's going to be my day. That's a hell of a lot of pressure on a single day. <laughs> like, okay, a lot, you know, a lot can go on in one day. Um, so I think recognizing how much pressure that really is and just saying, okay, like, yeah, that is a shit ton of pressure. Um, you know, what am I going to do to deal with that pressure? Then you deal with it. But I think saying that that's not a big deal and that that's not like a friggin' crazy concept is, is naive. <laughs> that's so wise. <laughs> wise man i am <laughs> no well you are and i the more the more people we're talking to the clearer it is that bef there's a moment or a metaphor a metamorphosis that you go through and all of a sudden you, you become at peace with what can happen good and bad and you spend a lot more time working on what you're actually doing as opposed to worried about what's next, what you did do, what you didn't do. Is right. that and what I it mean, comes down to for you? Yeah, I mean, it's just draining. Like, and I'll be honest, like, I also do it. Like, I get caught up. Like, I'm still caught up on the fact that I feel like I threw away um, another possible win. You know, last year I did the same thing in Deer Valley. I got second when I, I just decided basically not to push out of the gate, um, you know, and skied so terribly slow. It literally just still pains me to think about, but anyways, and then, uh, you know, this year I'm, I'm in the same position and, you know, I had my leg issue and I was in a lot of pain, but still like, I felt like I threw it away, you know, and I didn't give it my best. And I I'm days later, I'm still hung up on that. Um, you know, and I have to move on, you know, I am moving on, but I, I would be lying if I said I also don't get hung up as much as I try to not. There's a great quote. Uh, it's above the door of Wimbledon. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's um, it's from a poem. But it's like, it, um, if you can meet triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, then you're a champion. Absolutely. I think. I think another thing that gets me through the tough moments and this might sound out incredibly wild to say but when I win when I get a podium at a world cup obviously I'm, I'm stoked I'm excited um but I'm already on to the next you know I'm already talking to my coach about what I could have done better because there's no perfect mogul run there's no perfect turn right so there's always something you can do better and I'm already on to the next thing I'm already 
thinking about next week. I'm already thinking about world championships. I'm thinking about what I should be doing over this training block to be better. Um, you know, and, and maybe I don't sit in, in those beautiful moments enough and, and maybe I'll regret that when I'm older, but the fact is like, it's not that different when I have a bad day than when I have a good day. I'm very analytical and rational person and might make me mean and honest as well, but um, I'm, I'm always someone on to the next. And uh, you know, that's great when it's a good, when it's a bad day, but sometimes when it's a good day, I, my coach has to be like, whoa, 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 let, let, let's, let's have a nice night, you know? And then tomorrow we'll, we'll think about, about what to do next. And uh, I was actually listening to your, I think your podcast with Alice Merriweather and she was saying uh, she felt kind of similarly. And I, uh, I felt good about that because I felt like sometimes I'm, I'm the only one who feels that way. Uh, so it was nice to hear that she felt similarly. <laughs> I think we're all talking about the same things. Right? <laughs> it's, you know, th- those moments are amazing. And I think that that's, that's why it's easy for me to take away the stress that comes with competition, um, knowing that my the best days I've ever had skiing aren't the days that I was standing on those podiums. They were the days on Superstar in the spring with my friends, like drinking beers in the parking lot afterwards. Like those are the days that I remember the most. And and those days on the podiums are are amazing and I love them and I'm going to remember them forever. But I have just as amazing days when I'm not competing. And and I think that's why it's going to be okay when I retire someday because I know that there's more. There's more than just standing on that podium and and there's so many different ways to be happy. And you'll always be welcome in the bear parking lot. Right? I always have a spot. <laughs> front row. Better be front row. <laughs> we'll be right back with our thoughts of the day. Welcome back. Special thanks to Hannah Soar for an incredible interview and being so open and insightful. Um, what a special young athlete. Here we are with our thoughts of the day. Kara, what you thinking? What are your thoughts of the day? Well, Martin, I love talking to Hannah. And, and as we said, Hannah qualified for the national team during her junior year of high school. Um, and she's already had a tremendous impact on the sport at the age of 21 years old. Like she comes from a diehard East Coast family, and it's abundantly clear that she just loves the sport of skiing. And and she seemed to have found a way to take the pressure off, um, which is something that many athletes, um, many years her senior, have yet to figure out. Um, but make no mistake, Hannah talks about her training with a ferocity and a passion that has been fostered by her family and her upbringing and her culture, but she herself owns. And yeah, the way she speaks about her competitive career, it's clear that she's in this for the legacy and it's it's her legacy. Um, she's so invested in giving back to the community and she talks about how she's approachable um, and she's a positive role model. I just love listening to her speak and I see great things in store for Hannah. And I can't wait to see what she's been working on as she says in the background. Kara, you're so smart. Like, <laughs> I love that. Like, I think that's so succinct. Like she just really is a well-rounded, well-raised, beast of an athlete it's great yeah she is and she's I mean she's someone who who I could imagine my daughter aspiring to want to be like she was just she's just a really cool 
really cool lady with a very bright future. We could only hope like our daughters turn out to be like Hannah. Jeff, what are your thoughts of the day? So Martin, you know, I listened to her and your interview and its entirety when I was out for a run and I've never met her, but I feel like I've known her forever. And like, I want to wrap up her passion and enthusiasm and her love of skiing and love of life and her, more importantly, her realistic view on what life's about and her realistic view on how she approaches the sport and that whatever happens happens and no matter what i'll still love skiing and i just love to wrap that all up and give it to every athlete that i've ever coached along with their parents yeah i it's so cool you take away her jacket you take away her u.s ski team label and i and take away moguls she's still going to be skiing 100 150 days a year huh yeah you know and the best thing that i thought i heard in the interview is her saying you know the podiums are great but she has just as much fun having beers after skiing with her friends in the parking lot. Yeah, underage beers at the time, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> well, she didn't say that. I just did. <laughs> so, Martin, what are your thoughts of the day? Um, I'm with you guys. I think she's just, it's so obvious she's a pure skier. Just down home love of the, of the game, whatever kind of snow it is. And... She, that she's a bump skier is incredible and obvious when you look at what Killington has to offer. Um, it's so cool to see her have great surroundings and a great environment around her. She's got her her close friends, Beck and EK, and those adventures that they go on, the century rides and the, the backcountry stuff up, up each mountain in Vermont. Um, that kind of adventure and aspirational friendship is is really cool. She's got the U.S. women's team that has created a great bond. She's got her guys from KMS that are on the national team that she grew up with. She still gets to hang out and train with them. She's got the great community of Killington and the bump gang around her. It's it's really um, good to see her in, a, in that great space. Um, I have so much respect for all of these athletes that deal with judging. Um, I don't know how they do it. Um, and she's, she spoke a little bit about it, um, but God bless them. It would, it would drive me nuts. And, and it just, it tests your theory of, do you trust the process and do you love it enough? And it's not about the podiums. Um, and they clearly do get through that. Um, with the tricks, I have no idea what she's saying. I have no idea what any of those tricks are, but it's so fascinating to talk about. And all I know is it's super athletic and it's super thoughtful and super critical. And um, it's, it's really cool to see. She is so legit. Anybody who doesn't think this girl could keep up with any of us on skis is, is wrong. Um, and I challenge you to show up in, in Bear Parking Lot in Killington in the next few weeks for when the spring bumps and just try to keep up. Um, good luck with that. Keep up with her on skis and good luck with her her enthusiasm. I can't wait to see what Hannah does over the next few years. Um, and I hope that when you hear this, we all become fans of Hannah Soar and, and just that fan club gets larger. I don't know how you can not cheer for her. Um, so thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Karen, Jeff. Um, thank you, Hannah Soar. We'll see you all soon on the next turn. Be welcome.